I was rewatching Friends. There's an episode where like Rachel's parents have recently gotten divorced and they're at her birthday party and they hate each other. Rachel's like reminiscing to when they celebrated the 4th of July together and watched the fireworks as like a whole family and how happy she was about it. She's just talking to Chandler and she's like, just like sitting there watching them bitch about each other. And all I could think about was the 4th of July. And then Chandler's like, because it reminded you of how our forefathers used to bitch at each other. (laughs) So I'm really fucking excited about this. How does a bastard, orphan, son of a whore and a Scotsman Dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean By providence, impoverished and squalor Grow up to be a hero and a scholar Welcome, everybody, to Bottomless Broadway where we talk musicals over mimosas By now you know that there are no more current season musicals to talk about So we're just talking about whatever the fuck we want And today we're going to talk about the Disney Plus release of Hamilton. And I'm really excited because I think like with the release of that comes a lot more to talk about because we can talk about, you know, the show itself, but we can talk about like the cinematography and how it was filmed. And then also because like the film version opened it up to a much bigger audience, we can talk about kind of like all the controversies. I'm here with Christine, by the way, but usually we cut this part. All right, shall we jump in? Yep, I guess in case people have not seen Hamilton or know what it's about at all, you should maybe tell people what it's about. Oh, how do I describe Hamilton? You know, he's like your standard um, son of a whore to New York banker story. (laughs) There's a lot of alcohol, there's like some infidelity, and then um, dies. Solid summary. (laughs) I think I told you this, but... When I saw it in L.A., I was going with one of my friends who had only just seen his, like, first stage musical, like, earlier that year. And at the end, he was like, I can't believe that bitch died at the end. And I was like, are you talking about Hamilton? It should be like a public school system meme. If you, like, sort of learned it, but you forgot about it after you became a functioning adult... They do tell you again in the opening number. So it's like a memory jog. You're like, oh, yeah, that happened. I remember. Yep. Um, I think a lot of the structure is drawn from Jesus Christ Superstar. Like The whole idea of Jesus Christ Superstar is it's like from Judas's point of view. And it depicts the events as like, what if you were just a normal ass human during the events up to like Jesus's crucifixion? So I'm certain that we cannot go through this track by track as there are way too many songs let's start with what were your sort of like initial impressions of the disney plus film okay i noticed a lot more than watching it on stage the first time i noticed a lot of the choreography especially like in the opening number going on in the background Mm -hmm. but a lot of the filming isn't really done so that you can see the entire stage and stuff so they kind of take away a lot of the feeling of that it's like a stage production yeah which might be intentional but like everything from the direction to the execution and stuff is like for the stage so I honestly didn't care about the majority of the close-ups yeah I mean I think Renee Elise Goldsberry I feel like whenever they did a close-up on her was always great the one that didn't work I don't know why they had such a close-up on King George 
I'm like, you're doing Jonathan Groff no favors. The point of the king is that he's larger than life. I had a lot of problems with the like footlight camera where it's just like shooting upwards but i feel like that almost would have worked for king george to have him like towering over you but instead he just gotta see him like drool all over himself since they decided not to cgi it out they're like the world needs to know how much jonathan groff cannot keep his spit in his mouth when he's singing so they did the bottom-up shot for george washington a lot which also might have been intentional but i didn't like it and for groff it just like i don't know like his outfit is super cool. He had to go through all that suffering to wear his, like, 50-pound crown or whatever. <laughs> He's the only person in the show that wears those, like, bright, jewel-toned colors because it's, like, there as a distinction. Yeah. And there's some cool lighting that goes on during his song. His whole, like, famous Beyonce loved walk. Just, like, all that put together is supposed to be how he, like, fills the stage as one person. And instead, they just do, like, a selfie cut of his face. They don't even, like, show his forehead. I agree with you that, in general, I wish there were more wide shots. I kind of almost wish that it was just a solid, like, house cam footage shot from the back of the orchestra, just head on. I also was not a huge fan of the footlight camera. Some of the backward shots were okay, but a lot of the times it was a little distracting because you're trying to reorient yourself. The overhead shot looked really cool in the trailer, but I don't know if it worked as well in the actual film. Yeah, they did a lot of like close-up shot of David Diggs too, which didn't make any sense to me because I feel like his entire thing is like how he carries himself. Yeah. You know when people talk about the original cast and they're like, nothing can ever replace the original cast. And you're like, is that uh-huh. really true? Um, but I do kind of see it with David Diggs because he is like a rapper foremost. And also like his presence, like when you first see him um, as Lafayette, like not in the opening number, but just in um, Aaron Verser, he really does like jump out as he has this like energy and this, the way he moves and stuff. So I, it is also like I wish there was just more like showing how he carries himself. Yeah, I feel like the original Broadway cast is truly kind of overhyped. Like the Hamilton OBC is like probably the most celebrated original cast ever. Like everyone <laughs> just keeps talking about them. And I had such high hopes and the cast album is great. But honestly, like I wouldn't say all of the actors were as good as the ones I saw in L.A., Mm-hmm. Honestly, I liked my Lafayette Jefferson in LA a lot. He was some tall dude who was also cute. Jordan Donica, I think. Probably. I do really like Renee. Yeah. First time I saw it, I saw it on Broadway. And it was Renee's understudy. She was still on the show, but she was on vacation. But it was Alicia Delarue um, who was playing it. And I was like a little disappointed at first. But then at the end of Satisfied, everyone but Renee kind of does a riff on like the May You Always part and she has a version on youtube where she sang it at session so you can listen to it but i was like oh dang that's you know something different and that is something that you get from when it's not the original principal cast though to lynn's credit um i wrote so i took notes on this and most of my notes were just camera angles i hated and i didn't hate (laughs) i did write for um that would be enough i was like wow lynn can actually act because I feel like a lot of us were just under the impression that um, most of his roles are just him. 
And it's like, he's just, you know, acting as himself. But I was like, that was the first moment where I'm like, no, he he does have like an actor's capability. He's not just being himself the whole time. I mean, he does write a character very like himself. Like Hamilton is just a very excitable man. <laughs> yeah. I really expected Leslie Autumn Jr.'s voice to be stronger because it is on the cast album. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's like, part of the strain of just like performing everything live and um for the most part doing it you know in one night and like live recordings and the acoustics and stuff but also i i think he sounded really good on the slower songs like dear theodosia i didn't really feel that way like on his more like rap numbers i'm not really looking for like vocal quality in those songs so it doesn't really bother me but like in wait for it like his voice is so much softer and like blunted than it is mm-hmm. on the cast album. Love doesn't discriminate. Sinners and the saints. It takes and it takes and it takes and we keep loving anyway. We laugh and we cry and we break and we make our mistakes. And if there's a reason I'm by her side and so many have tried, then I'm willing to wait for it. I'm willing to wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. What is your favorite number on stage? Like, not necessarily just to listen to, but overall seeing live. I would probably say Cabinet Battle 1. But I'm also really partial to Right Hand Man. At the end, all the ensemble members sort of line up behind, on that last beat, they kind of step in line behind him. And, you know, that Mm -hmm. sort of image of George Washington next to Hamilton with all the soldiers lined up behind him was really good. And I, I will say, like, I didn't really think much of Right Hand Man until I saw it live. And for some reason, that, like, part where it's, like, cannons go boom and then the lights, like, flicker, that just really yep. got to me for some reason. And I don't know why. The actual show uses, like, the whole, like, ship look of the stage pretty well. And they, like, move those ladders around in nonstop. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's something that, like, you really have to appreciate from, like, above the eye level. When they record that, the whole look and feel of nonstop really didn't do it for me, even though it's one of my favorite songs. Again, I think they should just like let it be a wide shot because they seem to want to do too many close ups. And they were like, oh, we got to do a close up on this person. And then we got to do a close up on this person, especially for a song like nonstop where it is like. I mean, it's like one day more where it's just everyone is singing their own line. And it's supposed to be like a game of Where's Waldo? It's like, who do you want to focus on right now? Do you want to focus on Angelica, Eliza, Burr, or Washington? I wrote this down, but I don't actually know what this means. Um, But I wrote, the camera seems bored, question mark. (laughs) I don't know what I meant by that. Um, But that was for nonstop. So, As an audience member... Like, part of why nonstop is cool is because it's, like, so chaotic. And, like, in the show and the song's lyrics, like, it's, like, all overlapping and hectic because it's supposed to, like, convey all the different things, like, pulling him in life. Yeah. Maybe I want to focus on Eliza right now. Like, I don't want to look at Washington. Yeah. I'm more interested in, like, what she's saying to him and, like, her facial expressions. Controversial opinion because I know you feel about this. I still don't care about the turntables. I did. I wrote this down like at least five times um, because I love a good turntable and I think Hamilton did use the turntable really well. But I feel like the way that the camera pans almost negates the turntable. And that was one of the things that bothered me a lot. Like in the rewind sequence, they keep moving the camera, which was really annoying because 
I think part of that rewind. Oh my god, rewind was awful. Yeah, I mean, I think part of the rewind is how the turntable turns in like the opposite direction that it had been turning, and you see everyone, you know, just go backwards, and every all the props go off. Yeah, it's not even just like the turntable bit that's important there because like like the ensemble is like dancing backwards and stuff. And like in order to like notice that and kind of subconsciously register like how unsettling it is, your point of view has to be static. Yeah. But you know, you're always giving me shit about not noticing turntable in Hamilton or Les Mis. <laughs> but you know, the only one I did notice was Hades Town because I actually told you I thought it was really important the way they used it and that's the only one that won a Tony for set so yeah maybe I just (laughs) selectively filter out everything (laughs) I mean okay so when I when the Tonys for this happened this was before I saw the show and I had seen She Loves Me, which is the one that ended up winning the Tony for set. It's set in a perfumery. So it it has this like beautiful, almost jewel case store thing that sits in the background and it opens up. And also the middle part of it like rotates so you can see the back of the store and stuff. And that was like a super cool set. And so I had seen that before the Tonys, but I had not seen Hamilton. And, you know, we all see like pictures of the Hamilton set and like clips or whatever. And it looks when you just see the pictures and you don't see it in the show it looks very boring and like very basic and it's like all right cool I guess we're in colonial life like you know I get it um and I was like oh yeah she loved me like definitely deserved to win for set because it was just much cooler um but then after seeing the show I was like I do see why like the set isn't as flashy but it plays into what the like they just use it so well it's very efficient it lets you focus on hamilton's story and not what's going on around him as much it's not about like oh look at how they sage that yeah so i have been like thinking about this for a while and i don't have an answer the set looks like a ship the set is very nautical the only time it's like really used as a ship maybe is like when they're like now see him at the bow of a ship mm-hmm. and he just like walks down the stairs <laughs> you know there's really no mention of ships for the rest of the show because he does not go anywhere <laughs> um he, he goes i mean yeah he goes nowhere they're like come upstate and he's like no oh, i guess i guess they roll across the hudson but go to know. jersey but then he dies yeah. so like, <laughs> did he really leave manhattan <laughs> The 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 so, point is here that you would rather die than leave Manhattan for New Jersey. I don't know specifically about all the the naval analogies, but I do know like the brick wall was like pretty heavily researched in terms of like what was authentic brick back then and stuff like that. And it also grows during intermission because they're like it's the growing of our new nation. Why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Why do you assume you're the smartest in the room? Assume that attitude may be your doom. Why do you write like you're running out of time? Write day and night like you're running out of time. Every day you fight like you're running out of time. Keep on fighting in the meantime. Non-stop. I do want to maybe talk about what do you think makes this show so good? Besides the music itself. Because, like, you know, a lot of people can write good music. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that this show, like, does differently. And I'm not really just talking about the rap because everyone knows that. And frankly, I don't care about it. I think, like, 
in conjunction-ish, having like the characters act very modern, I think is like a part that really makes it for me because like by doing that, I think they're giving the actors like a lot of room. I feel like if you took it apart, like the characters seem like they belong in different eras almost because like Jefferson is so batshit crazy and (laughs) Eliza plays almost your standard housewife. Like she wouldn't have to be in Hamilton. She could be in any 1800s show. Mm -hmm. It gives like the actors room to explore and and then like it lets them kind of like take their character. Yeah. I mean, it takes it to like the most extreme version of like how they interpret the character. The show itself has so many levels and like we've spent so many nights drinking and talking about this show because (laughs) I'm like a strict Burr hater and you're not. Like it kind of puts all of this like establishing a country stuff into these like simplified ideals of like, well, what would you do? Like, yeah. What side are you on? Yeah. Because when I saw Hamilton, I was like, this feels new and it feels different and it feels unlike anything I've really seen before. Yeah. I think it does partially have to do with how modern it is, not just in the music, but also in the dance. We talked about how the set is very um, efficient, but also the choreography too, I think. Like every movement kind of has a purpose and you know even when they're just passing a letter or they're like bringing in furniture or something that's still like something that seems to be choreographed and seems to be thought of it's just one of those shows uh, where each component of like design of the actors of the music all sort of came together and you could tell they were definitely all on the same page when they were creating the show yeah i mean that's definitely a big thing like i don't think there's a throwaway song in this show like i think every song serves a purpose and every song is like efficiently and effectively used and every song looks good on stage like there's no like low point of the show there's like no part where you're kind of like oh i don't have to pay attention here like i can check the time real quick like the whole thing's done so well the characters are crafted really well and like hamilton and burt are extremely interesting characters who like don't make decisions that stray from their characterization at all and like yes that's because like they are real people but like it's also testament to like how well they are characterized by the show Mm -hmm. people are always saying shit about farmer refuted or like some of the other like less big numbers first of all farmer refuted i guess kind of like ladies got potential is a major history lesson (laughs) like without it there wouldn't be any depiction of like people that are against the revolution really it also like shows like hamilton's friends like pushing him forward burr pushing him back it shows how eager hamilton is like to fight everyone yeah the fact that he's super outspoken and he's really witty like the dialogue that happens is really funny. Like, I love the lines when where he's like, I pray the king shows you his mercy. And Hamilton's like, is he in Jersey? Like, is he right there? Why am I afraid of him? Like, I recently saw, like, that, like, compilation of, like, musical-inspired um, Black Lives Matter protest signs. Mm-hmm. And one of them was, like, chaos and bloodshed are not a solution and, like, crossed out. And it was, like, chaos and bloodshed already haunt us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is super relevant, really cool, and also just a great
great line in the show. Yeah, I definitely agree. And then also back to your point about letting everyone be their fullest self, I guess. In Hamilton, if you get a chance to watch different casts perform it, each person, like, their interstitial choreography that's not, like, the specific dance moves and stuff will be slightly different. And, like, um, people have talked about uh, seeing, you know, different cats and during It's Quiet Uptown, how Hamilton reacts during that song and how people choose to react in different ways when Eliza forgives him and stuff like that. Um, And I think that's a cool bit of how much freedom the actors get in the role. They are standing in the garden Alexander by Eliza's side She takes his hand It's quiet uptown Forgiveness Can you imagine? Okay, so here's why I don't find it to be Burr's redemption story, aside from the fact that he's an asshole. (laughs) It's because most of the musical is focused on Hamilton's influencers. Like, I feel like as an audience, you're not too shocked that he sleeps with Mariah Reynolds because you know that he's already crushing on Angelica, right? Right. And, like, you know that he does certain things because his friends want him to. He does certain things because Washington wants him to. He does certain things because, like, Jefferson pisses him off. So, like, you get an explanation for the majority of his actions. And then when it comes to Burr, Burr's main excuse is, like, look at Hamilton. (laughs) Which really bothers me because Wait For It is like a privileged asshole song. His dad was the president of Princeton and then he graduates school in two years and then he's out here being like Hamilton's so lucky that he has no one to answer to. Meanwhile, I have my parents' legacy to hold up. Okay, sure, bro, but like they also left you like a good reputation, a great network, money, like a social status. Like you can't use starting with too much as an excuse as to like why you're not doing as well as Hamilton. It bothers me that like he never fully recognizes that Hamilton had to start from the bottom. I don't necessarily know that Hamilton is Burr's redemption arc more as it is like a sympathy arc. After Room Where It Happens, you kind of see him go off the rails and go against his own ideals because he's just like so desperate to be better than Hamilton. And I don't think that's something that is supposed to be like celebrated or anything. When I'm like, every time he does something, he's like, well, look at what Hamilton's doing. Like, obviously, he basically says that exactly and wait for it. Yeah. He's like, look at Hamilton. But then like throughout the rest of the musical and like act two, he does as well because like in Skylar Defeated he's like he tells Hamilton he's like well I'm doing what you did like you told me to like just take what I wanted which like okay like that's not the biggest deal I don't think like Hamilton hated him for winning that seat or anything mm-hmm. um but then like later on with like his presidency he has his whole like well I want to be the president so I'm just going to like say whatever people want and become the president which is exactly how presidency works <laughs> But, like, and then he kind of, like, blames this whole ideal that he has on Hamilton because he's like, well, this guy took what he wanted and it always worked for him and he keeps telling me to do it. Hamilton, like, yes, like, you know, like he says earlier that, like, he's like, I want to 
rise above what I have now and a war can help me do it. Like he wants power and everything, but like everything that he does like politically and like for the country is still like rooted in what he believes in. Yeah. And when he's like, like if you believe in something, like go for it. He's talking about like morality, not a position or a job. Right. Or- he's talking about the specific actions. Even though Hamilton like didn't really believe in being a um aide in the war, like he didn't want to write letters, but he was like, I can see how this is helping the war and I can bring my friends in and be able to help the war effort. And this is ultimately like what I want to do, which is not what Bird does. I think we actually have like I think we do interpret Bird the same if not similar ways but we're just like you're just more objectionable to his mindset yeah also the fact that basically there were only like 10 people in colonial times because they keep running into each other thing is hilarious like it's only briefly touched on in right hand man where he's like oh have you met burr it's like we keep meeting burr and madison were like bffs in college or something like burr was madison's son's godfather and also introduced him to his wife and then burr also was the divorce lawyer for mariah reynolds and then hamilton jr was the divorce lawyer for aaron burr and his second wife and it's (laughs) like they all just like there's only like five people in colonial times america (laughs) ever i mean it's very possible that like the political circle was just that. I remember like reading parts of the biography. The author is trying to like guess when Hamilton might have first heard the name Burr. Every time like Hamilton meets someone in history that has a relation to Burr, he's like, and he could have also heard about Aaron Burr from <laughs> this guy. And he could have also heard about Aaron Burr from that guy's friend or that guy's uncle or this other guy who he went to school with, whose dad was the church at the guy that the first guy attended. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> yes. Aaron Burr was famous. <laughs> That's like half the book he's just like yeah i think you could have heard it from like any of these 25 people and i'm like great there were only 25 people (laughs) that was the entire united states yeah that's why washington had such a hard time he was like one third is just eight people (laughs) help me out here that's why when hamilton's like i have three friends that turned the entire (laughs) side of the war yeah i love that line so much and i know there's memes about it but all the memes are like i love how washington's like great you have three friends this solves all our problems that's like such dad energy but like the memes miss the fact that like hamilton literally is like Lawrence Mulligan, Marquette Lafayette. Okay, what's next? Like, okay, Washington, I've solved your issue now. <laughs> Give me the next one. <laughs> what is our next problem? Come at me, bro. You need all the help you can get. I have some friends. Lawrence Mulligan, Marquette Lafayette. Okay, what else? Outnumbered, outplayed. You need some spies on the inside. Some king's men who might let some things slide. I'll write to Congress and tell them we need supplies. We rally the guys, master the element of surprise. Okay, you know how, like, you were like, the musical is very separate from the book, and yeah. I totally agree with that, and I think that's the main issue I have with, like, a lot of the people that are like, cancel Hamilton, or Hamilton's problematic. A while ago when we um, reviewed The Inheritance, you brought up how, like, um, 
it's all these gay men, but they're like primarily cute and white and just gay. Matthew Lopez talks about it where he's like, well, I'm not trying to like, yes, I am a minority, but like, that's not what I'm trying to Mm -hmm. tell with this story. And like, that's what I feel about this show a lot of the times. Like there's people that are like, well, they don't talk about Hamilton and slavery and Washington and slavery and like the fact that like they make all these white people um, black or Latino takes away from like how awful they were and stuff like that. And I just feel like that's not the story they're trying to tell here. Like technically Hamilton isn't an immigrant because when the nation formed in 1776, everyone that was in the U.S. became a natural born citizen. So like he could have been president technically. Yeah. But, like, the fact is he couldn't, and it wasn't just because of the Reynolds pamphlet. It was because, like, he didn't come from a good family and no one knew about him and people looked down on him his whole life. And so I feel like it's more of, like, your interpretation of the word immigrant because, like, in all functional terms, he was treated as an immigrant. And I feel like the fact that, like, it's included explicitly in the musical, like, Lin-Manuel Miranda is trying to be, like, this is how, like, immigrants found the country, whether he's, like, talking about minorities specifically in America during that time or the fact that, like, almost everyone was a first, second, or third generation immigrant at that time or just, like, the United States that we know of today is, like, an immigrant-founded country and, like, everything that we have is, like, influenced by all the people that have come to America from other places. That's what he's trying to to say Mm -hmm. everything else is valid but like it's not what the play is trying to do and like frankly like if you're curious about all the rest of the stuff you can read the book because it talks about all of that i had seen this criticism ever since the show was like kind of a thing but it was always in the background like no one really spoke out that much about it And I thought it was always just because, like, oh, well, you're, like, you know, omitting slavery and, like, how all these people were slave owners and how the country isn't as, like, it is a very idealistic take on the country. That's for sure. And I so I always thought that was the problem that people had with it. And I was like, well, yeah, like, kind of what you're saying, like, that's not the story that Lynn wanted to tell. It was only recently that I think I kind of understood the criticism more, um... And it was from Warren Hoffman has written a book called uh, Broadway and the Great White Way, I believe, where he talks about the intersection of Broadway and race. And a lot of the times when I see things like that, I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like Broadway is all white men calling the shots. And it's, you know, like back to Rodgers and Hammerstein, pretty racist. Like, but what he said was like Hamilton kind of invited this in by casting um only people of color and it's it's not just that it omits slavery it's using the people who could be descended from slaves to glorify the people who could be slave owners and that's kind of where more of the problem is you know divorced from the creator if you take the piece on its own that is an interpretation that you can see in it um, and I think that is like a viewpoint to be acknowledged. One of the features on Disney Plus was the undefeated interviewing the original cast members. And in it, one of the things that Lin-Manuel Miranda says is that you're watching a show about flawed people creating a flawed country with ideals worth chasing. And while you're watching it, you should think about how we've sort of fallen short of those ideals. 
But I don't think that was a message that necessarily came across to me. But because we are kind of used to colorblind casting now, like obviously Hamilton is a huge milestone and it's not something that we like. I'm not saying that we should only cast white people in Hamilton because that would be terrible. But um, we are kind of used to seeing, you know, people of color play roles that aren't necessarily people of color, like um, people of color playing Disney princesses or people of color playing Phantom of the Opera and stuff like that. But because we see that, at least for me, when I saw Hamilton, I was like, intellectually, I was like, okay, cool. This is like, you know, an amazing moment for people of color to be able to be on stage and not just have to play the villain and not just have to play like a token role where their only job is to be like the sassy black woman or to be, um, you know, the Latino gangster or whatever. I didn't have that moment of like cognitive dissonance where I'm like, wait a second, this wasn't actually what George Washington was like, which I think is what Lin-Manuel Miranda intended. Actually, the actor for Hercules Mulligan and Madison, he mentioned in one of his Instagram lives that I want like other young black men and black women to be able to see themselves on stage, but also at the same time wonder where their role was in the formation of their country. I mean, I don't think cancel culture is that helpful in general where you just say like a show is or just anything is you know bad and it should just like never see the light of day again I don't think that's helpful in any sense but I I do think that there are some points to the criticism of Hamilton that are worth talking about I've interpreted in kind of a similar way to Oak since I first watched the show which is like the point of casting it with minorities is Lynn saying like Minorities could have done this too. Like minorities could have played the same kind of important role in establishing this country if they were given the same opportunities, which they weren't and they still aren't. That's what the show's going for. There's no other way to get that point across. And like it pushes boundaries, but like I feel like that's what's so cool about it. Mm -hmm. Well, this is like kind of brings me back to the point about how cancel culture just isn't really productive is because I do think that things can be problematic and still be allowed to exist and still be celebrated. Like just because it's problematic for one thing or like one interpretation or one viewpoint doesn't negate all the um, boundaries that it has broken through and like all the progressive movement that it has made. I've always wondered about Lion King. Because I guess it was made so long ago that probably Disney never gave a fuck. But, like, I wonder if, like, anyone was, like, it does take place in Africa. So that means we should use black people. But do we really want one of the first, like, major black cast musicals to have all of them playing animals? Because that's also a weird message that has been rooted in history. I think the idea was that it was drawing from like African art and puppetry, which does often involve animals. Um, But yeah, that is like a good point to also bring up. You know, people of color didn't exist in creative teams back then. And like that was one of the reasons why like Thoroughly Modern Millie at City Center, which was canceled this year, was really interesting because in the original show, it does portray Asian people as like the villains, as kind of shifty and you know, up to no good. But then the one that was going to be done at city center with Ashley Park as its lead, 
um, also had a book rewritten by David Henry Huang, who, you know, is Asian. And, um, and it would have been interesting to see how he can rewrite that show because it like, I mean, the villain is just Asian. Like that is an intrinsic part of it. Um, and so I, I was super curious to see what that would be. Legacy. What is a legacy? It's planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. I wrote some notes at the beginning of a song someone will sing for me. America, you great unfinished symphony you sent for me. You let me make a difference. A place where even orphan immigrants can leave their fingerprints and rise up. I'm running out of time. I'm running in my time's up. Wise up. Eyes up. I love all of the brand new Disney Plus Hamilton fans figuring out that Angelica was already married when she met <laughs> Hamilton one by one. I see like someone learning that for the very first time <laughs> on social media like six times a day. Satisfied is probably one of my top three songs of the show. Um, and I I love that it's there. I love that it like portrays Angelica in a way where she – you know, isn't like fighting another girl for the guy that she loves. But also the be- whole beginning of Take a Break, I feel like it's just unnecessary when she's like obsessing over the comma. Oh, did I send you that thing about the comma? Um, I don't think so, but I know it was like originally Hamilton that wrote that or something. Yeah, like- so she wrote it. He noticed it. And then he wrote a letter back where he was like, did you mean to do that? Because that would be really funny. Ha 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 ha. Like... Yeah, like what if we hooked sure up? You didn't, but yeah, but like, did you mean to do that? And like, if you did mean to do that, just do it again, and I'll know. <laughs> Why Winter's Ball is important? <laughs> it sets him up as a frat guy. You know, she had eight kids. When does she have time to have eight kids? This girl is like doing everything. She's coming home. She's helping Hamilton with his political arguments. She's spending time with her sister and being an aunt. And she's exchanging letters with Lafayette and Jefferson because France is close to London. So why the (laughs) fuck not? Then she spends her dying years in New York, like trying to uncover history with her sister. And some point between all that, she had eight whole kids. (laughs) I thought she had no kids because like it sounded like she read the Reynolds pamphlet and she was like, I don't love my husband. Nothing's keeping me here. I'm just going to just walk out the door onto a ship back to New York. Never come back again. Bye. And turns out she's had kids this whole time. So ever since I like first listened to the recording in Burn, I was always so confused by the part where she was like these like I'm burning the letters that might have redeemed you. Well, I guess it's just like it proves that like when they did get married, he truly loved her. Mm. Fun fact, you built me palaces out of paragraphs, you built cathedrals, is sort of torn from one of Hamilton's actual letters where he talked about building castles in his mind. Oh, wow. Well, apparently Lin-Manuel Miranda had Eliza burn the letters because he was like, I don't know what the fuck happened to them. Let's just say she burned them. When I'm watching things like that, I'm like, what do they have to make sure that this doesn't just burn the entire wooden set down? Imagine if they had like a small accident, but not enough to cancel the show. So, like, Hercules Mulligan just runs on stage with a fire extinguisher, <laughs> and then we take a quick break for three minutes, and then it just proceeds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, also, 
like you mentioned this before to me, but like her multitude of dresses that I thought she had like yeah. one act one dress. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I definitely had thought that the um, helpless dress was the same as the um, nonstop dress, which they are not. Okay, so she has eight if you count both of her cloaks. She has her opening number one, which is the only one that's not green blue right. because it's not she's not really playing Eliza yet. Then she has her Skylar sister's dress. She has her wedding dress. She has her that would be enough Wait, Prego's the, dress. The wedding dress is separate from the Skylar sister's dress? Uh, for satisfied in the wedding, she and Angelica both change into these like two-tone dresses. Like oh. Angelica's is like she has that like I don't know if you remember, but Angelica has that one dress that has kind of like a unflattering corset and Eliza wears the same that's, shape where it like starts off as a triangle and goes down. I thought that was act two. No, that's the wedding. Oh, okay. And satisfied. And then she has her pregnant dress with the corset. Right. Um, and then she has um, her nonstop is the one with the weird white collars yeah, that like, kind of come out of nowhere. And then um, she has her nightgown and then she has that one like floor length cardigan mm-hmm. in um, Best of Wives. Yeah. And then she has the black cloak. And then Angelica has her opening number dress, her Skylar sister's dress, her satisfied dress. My favorite and least favorite is the one that looks like it's a blazer on top, which she actually wears nonstop because – and it's – I, and she has an umbrella, It's her right? married woman dress. I guess. It looks very like Sherlock. Like it definitely looks like someone going mm. to London. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She has a completely different dress later on that's like more empire-waisted and then she also has a black cloak. Yeah, I I know that Eliza has a nightgown if I think about it. But like, if you ask me, like, how many dresses do they wear? And I didn't have like more than ten seconds to think about it. I'd be like, one. It's just <laughs> green, and then she's orange, and there's that yellow bitch. Yeah. Like that's it. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also, is that actually like a like? I also think of it as a nightgown, but like, is that actually what they would wear as like casual wear, or like, do you happen to know? I don't know, but like Angelica wears something similar that's like also very empire wasted and she is never in her bedroom. So maybe it's like an older lady thing. When you don't have to look hot anymore because you're already married. on a road trip and I want to show my friend a part of Hamilton I always go for Guns and Ships, History Has Its Eye on You, Yorktown I feel like that portion is like the most energetic and telling part of the show and I just always play that if I don't have that much time that is my main part (laughs) it's not necessarily my top three songs but like as a section. It's like a good it. representation of the whole show. Yeah, and they flow into each other. Well. Like, I don't think you can actually play one of the songs without the other ones. Like, if you ever listen to Hamilton on Shuffle, it that, it would, like, everything would bother me. But these three songs would really bother me. Because Guns and Ships ends on the part where Hamilton is like, I have soldiers in the field for you. Blah, 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 blah. And then he goes into History Has... Which is actually, like, that's one of my favorite parts. And I wish it was in History Has Its Eyes on You. Uh-huh. Um, I really like when he's, like, 
I know you can do this. If you join me now, we'll have them by morning, which is a fucking lie because the Battle of Yorktown lasted a whole week. <laughs> got a, got so Hamm- Washington was a little optimistic there, but <laughs> fine. And History Has Its Eyes on You is a great number. Chris Jackson's voice probably sounds the best in that song to me. And yeah. the message is honestly really great. So when I saw Hamilton, and this is kind of a humble brag moment, I did not see it with like Lynn and Leslie and Philippa, but I did see it with like basically the entire secondary cast. And the two people that I changed my mind about most were Chris Jackson and Anthony Ramos, who when I saw them live, I was like, oh shit, like they are great. And like on the, the album, like, I don't know, their songs were fine. I wasn't super in love with either of them on the cast album, but when I saw them live, I was like, I understand why Lynn is like, Chris Jackson is the king of riffing. And I was like, okay, I get that now. And I didn't really like Story of Tonight until I saw it live. Shout out to them. Story of Tonight is a very drink with me song yes. from Lee Miz. And weirdly, I like that song too. So I guess I just like songs about drinking. <laughs> Story of Tonight is mainly good because it has a reprise. And the reprise only works because the original existed. I always liked the reprise. I just never really liked the original. But yeah, I agree. You need the original. The two songs work well together because in the first one, they're like their freedom, something they can never take away no matter what they tell you. And they're talking about the monarchy. And then in the second one, when they're like, You'll never have freedom no matter what she tells you. They're talking about marriage and it's just like low-key great. Yeah. Also, uh, that whole part in the reprise that um, Lawrence sings about Burr, like, well, I've heard you got someone on your side. That's like a one of the very few melodies that's like not used anywhere else in the show at all he's just like i'm just gonna i i ran out of melodies to to reuse for a narrative purpose like i just gotta write a new one for this and then we'll just move on and forget about it (laughs) huh i never noticed that that never gets used also i want to say like for whatever reason helpless in the past like month and a half has really grown on me i don't know why but like something about like that the performance they did with The Roots on the um, Jimmy Fallon show, for whatever reason, that is like my new definitive version of Helpless. But when I first listened to the album, I remember I wasn't like really listening to the lyrics, but she does repeat Helpless a lot. And I was like, all right, this dumb bitch is just, you know, she's like another Cosette or another Christine or whatever. And especially when you get to Satisfied, because Satisfied just like grabs you. And she was like, well, I really want this guy, but my sister is helpless, so I got to go help her. And I was like, well, fuck that. So I just like didn't like Eliza for a long time without really realizing what Helpless was actually about. But even then, I never really liked any of Eliza's songs that much. But for whatever reason, all of a sudden, Helpless, like whenever I hear the intro to it, it's just like immediately stuck in my head. And I do enjoy it a lot now. I feel that. I feel like the aura of the song actually makes Eliza much like a lot more boring than like she actually is if you were to listen to the song closely honestly the first time I saw the show like I didn't really see Eliza as like the hero that people think she is because of this play Mm -hmm. um like that didn't really like sink in until like 
well after because she's just not that exciting. And yeah, so like I feel like Eliza is painted as helpless. She's painted as like this submissive housewife that's like inferior to Angelica. Eliza's basically a basic bitch. (laughs) But like if you listen to helpless, like she's not that much of like a submissive person at all. And she's not kind of your basic housewife either. Like she sees Hamilton first. She knows she wants him. She's like genuinely attracted to him, which is like kind of out of the ordinary for a marriage of that time. She's actually really cool and helpless. Yeah, it's a little bit unfortunate that the word helpless is like what sticks with you out of that song. Yeah, because she does take charge. Like if you're not paying close attention, it does paint her in this like, I'm just a damsel in distress who's in love, which is always infuriating. But she's pretty cool. Everyone claims they have their own theory about the gasp at the end, but all their theories are basically the same. But that was one part where like the stage acting bothered me, where it seemed like she was overacting the gasp at the end, which is like fair for, you know, on stage because you have to act to the back row. But on camera, it just it it didn't seem like a moment of revelation as much as it seemed like a moment of like, I'm gasping. I mean... Well, technically, like, I like the theory that, like, she's seeing the audience a lot. Yeah. But didn't, like, on Twitter, Lynn was like, that's not actually the case. No, no, the no. The, the theory he debunked was, like, people were, like, when she's singing the last part of the song, she, like, goes upstage a bit and then links hands with Hamilton. And then he leads her to the audience and she stands at, like, the edge of the stage and then she gasps. The theory that he debunked was that, it is him as Lin-Manuel Miranda showing her what he created. And he's like, well, that doesn't work if anyone but me is playing Hamilton. So, like, nice theory, but no dice. But I think the idea of, like, him as Hamilton showing her what her legacy has become is still valid. I don't know. I always read that entire theory as, like, it has to be Lin showing it. So I assumed that, like, even though it's a great theory that like originally when written, it's just like her dying and going to heaven. That is what I thought at first. But like there is that part where she like obviously sees Hamilton. So I'm assuming she like had died like four measures earlier. You know how like when you read about dying that are like people that like almost die but don't and they're like, I just saw my grandma in all this light. Yeah. Like. Maybe that's what was going on. Couple things from the credits I noticed and thought were just funny. Angelica, for whatever reason, has her own makeup person. Lynn also paid special thanks to the A Train, comma MTA, because he apparently did a lot of his writing on the A Train on his way home. Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw he credited like all the places that he wrote random yeah. songs. Also, one of the songs was credited. I think the opening song was credited as quote full company parentheses except King George and parentheses. <laughs> Which, like, is true, but for whatever reason, I find that funny. They keep talking about how he wrote one song on his honeymoon, and if I were Vanessa, I'd be really mad. (laughs) I would be like, excuse me. What if you knew that it would make him millions of dollars, though? Yeah, but, like, write it at another time. You can write on the A train, apparently.
love Hamilton as a character. Like, there's no doubt that he's a flawed character, but... I mean, I think that's I, why you have such huge objections to Burr is because you relate too closely to Hamilton. And yeah, I mean, like, I definitely side with Hamilton's morals. And I think, like, the way that Burr acts doesn't necessarily, like, always make a villain or anything. Like, Yeah. But I guess put into the shoes of someone like Burr who could potentially change the country – if you still did that, you would be a dick. I don't know why this memory is so vivid, but my fifth grade U.S. history textbook was like the first time when I realized textbooks could be biased. And because it had mentioned like the Burr-Hamilton duel, and it was like, and in one careless shot, Aaron Burr destroyed the future of the Federalist Party and a genius mind in the making. And I was like, you sound super dramatic right now. Someone was obviously a Hamilton fan. I like the sentiment of like, I'm not throwing away my shot. I like how like he's really outspoken. I really like the part in Hurricane where he has that, I wrote my way out of hell. I wrote my way to revolution. Mm-hmm. Or I wrote Eliza Love Letters until she fell. And then, like, in the face of ignorance and resistance, I wrote financial systems into existence. First of all, those are just great rhymes. But also, like, I even though he's about to make a terrible decision, um, I like that he's just kind of like, here's all the shit that I've done. Look at how powerful my words are. Like, wow, this is going to work out. And, like, in... Your obedient servant. Like, we've talked about this at a bar before, but basically, like, he tells Burr, he's like, yes, I agree that I said all of these terrible things about you, but I stand by them, and we're still friends, right? Here's a list of all of them. I just think, like, he's such a weirdo. I just like the way he lives life, even though it's apparently self-destructive, but I mean, like, they're both self-destructive, so. I mean, I think it also has to do with, like, we've talked about how, like, what... I want song is and you said that um it's wait for it and I think it's when that happens partly because he says I want to be in what happens well so normally in a show in the beginning you have classically it's an I want song because then it shows you what they want to achieve and then it normally shows you their arc to achieving it but occasionally you have an I am song which is like this is the character and this is what who the character is and how they are going to be portrayed and I think wait for it is the I am song like Burr doesn't really have an I want song that sets up his character I see room where it happens more as an 11 o'clock number where that's like the shift in the story up until now, it's been Hamilton's story. In this like kind of meta-Brechtian way, Burr is fine being the narrator up until now. because Also partially because he knows how it ends, if you look at the opening number. But the room where it happens is kind of where he's like, wait a second. This bitch is getting all the like important things. He gets to be in the room, dining on whatever fancy-ass shit Thomas Jefferson's cooked up. And I'm just out here wondering what they talked about. And then that kind of sets up his whole arc into kind of self-destructing his own life, but also destroying Hamilton's life. I mean, yeah, I can see Room Where It Happens as an I Want song, but like, I think it is more of an 11 o'clock number because the entire show kind of shifts on it a bit. Like, that's what brings out the Reynolds pamphlet in terms of like, we know and what leads Hamilton to Hurricane and to like destroying his own life and also 
what leads Burr to run for election in both Schuyler defeated and an election of 1800. So I don't really see it as like an I want. I do see it, but I don't think in the overall arc of the show, it's as important as a traditional I want song. So sidebar before I talk about why I think it is, um, I did not notice King George dancing in the Reynolds pamphlet when I saw it on stage. I only saw it in the Disney Plus version and it's fantastic. That's also probably, honestly, you know, that might be one of my favorite staged moments. Jefferson just is amazing always and that's also why I like Cabinet Battle 1 because he does some crazy shit with his legs. Um, but he's also hilarious in Reynolds' pamphlet Honestly, when he's Reynolds just like... Reynolds' pamphlet is a funny song. Like, the song itself is not funny, but it's everything happening is hilarious. I mean, it, the song itself is kind of funny if you think about it. Like, his political opponents are just like, yeah, ha-ha, you're never going to be president. And, like, yeah, he's, like, making it rain with Reynolds' pamphlets. Probably my favorite Hamilton meme ever is um, when Jefferson is like, it's quite uptown. It's so sad. Alexa... Play election of 1800. Okay, so back to Vert. So I definitely think Room Where It Happens is an 11 o'clock number. I think it's both, which I know is unconventional, but like it's not a conventional show. Yeah. And I guess, like, I guess that. if I'm saying it's the I Want song and the 11 o'clock number, I'm kind of just like, as soon as Burr makes a decision, <laughs> he ruins everything. It's not untrue. <laughs> like, that is like, kind of how the musical <laughs> works. Like, as soon as Burr knows what he wants, he fucks it all up. Like, I feel like so much of what, like, Hamilton and his other friends are saying all the time is, like, Burr doesn't want anything. Like, Burr has no wants for the first half of the show. And so, like, Wait For It is, like, definitely, like, it characterizes him. But, like, I'm kind of on the line of, like, does waiting truly count as an action? <laughs> well, it's an action in D&D. Yeah, but you still get an action. Well, yeah, that's room where it happens. He's like, I want to take an action now. DM, please put me back in the turn order. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. in his own words, he's not standing in still. He's lying in wait. So whatever, Burr. Which is the so. same meaning. <laughs> it does have a different connotation, to be fair. I mean, I feel like that's where I feel like I understand Hamilton. Like, I feel like he, I think, and I, like, see things a lot more, like, black and white. Yes. And so I'm like, oh, I hate Burr. <laughs> so fuck him. I do think your point about Burr also brings it back to the um, Jesus Christ Superstar analogy. Because at the end of the day, like, G- Judas still betrays Jesus, which is just a dick move but you you do kind of see judas's motivations more so it's not really like like jesus christ superstar isn't a judas redemption arc as much as like hamilton also isn't an aaron burr redemption arc it's just more like giving some probably fictional context to their actions in a way that you can sort of empathize with them more i kind of felt judas (laughs) in Jesus Christ Superstar. I didn't mind him. I also liked a song. Well, Judas kind of also just like had one conviction and stuck with it, whereas Bird does like kind of switch viewpoints. I, I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. I want to be in the room where it happens, the room where it happens. I honestly i do find it a little surprising that people that like you know like 
like Hamilton purely because they like rap music like Hamilton because I don't think it's like got that much of a hip hop vibe. I mean, like we keep trying to sell it like that, but I feel like as a genre, I'd still consider it more musical theater. I mean, I think Lynn was really smart about the genre because there are some shows where you're like, I don't understand why this show is in this style. Um, Mm-hmm. But, like, this makes sense. And he's also, like, said this in interviews and stuff where he's, like, if I were to write Hamilton as, like, a normal musical theater piece, it would last, like, 15 hours because he has so much fucking shit to say. So rap was, like, kind of the only medium that made sense because you can just say a lot of stuff in a very fast way. And that does make a lot of sense. Um There's, like, I mean, every musical now is kind of like a quote-unquote pop musical which, like, it works for six and stuff because that is the actual premise of the show. But, like, there are other shows where it's like, all right, this, like, quote-unquote pop musical theater sound is, like, getting pretty ubiquitous. But, like, here it's like, like this makes sense to be rap. Oh, yeah. I mean, I like that. that. Like, I like how he was, like, like I felt convicted to make this into hip-hop because it's, like, a rags-to-riches story, which is very yeah. hip-hop, which it is. Um but, like, I don't know. Like, I think it's still quite musical theater-y. And also, like, the Hamilton mixtape, I feel like, was, like, a subtle proof that theater performers are just better vocalists. <laughs> they were just like, yes, try to sing these. Why don't you? I did like the um, Kelly Clarkson, It's Quiet Uptown. Well, I remember Lynn was like, I envisioned this as a hip-hop album, like, or like R&B, whatever. And so... Like, in my head, I was already casting some of these people that are on the mixtape. Like, I was like, Washington is such a John Legend person. And Chris Jackson is basically, like, the John Legend of Broadway. And so this makes a lot of sense. And I was like, okay, like, I can see how they have similar voices. But I hate how he does it. And I like him normally, so. Yeah. It's really sad. I like it as a concept. Like, let's give this to the people who kind of inspired the show and see what they would have done with it. And also, like, if you look at that, like, original casting notice for Hamilton, and he always picks, like, one hip-hop or R&B artist and then one Broadway character, which is, like, also, like, a nice sort of meeting of mediums and kind of, like, I guess just general street cred for Lynn to be, like, I actually know both worlds. Like, I can yeah. do this. I have the knowledge and experience to be able to pull this off. I thought yeah. the Hamilton drops were more interesting than the actual stuff on the Hamilton mixtape. Yeah. But I'm not afraid. I know who I marry. Just let me stay here by your side. And that would be what you will about Washington but he did truly in his farewell address warn about bipartisan fight partisan fighting warned which about is like, everything good for you about. man he was like yeah he warned about everything we are currently fucking up on don't create political parties don't get too involved in international affairs and don't 
borrow money, I think was his third one. And look where we are now. Like in the song, he's like, I went through a lot to get these lessons. So listen to me. And we're like, no. <laughs> it also, like, <laughs> as a child, took me a while to realize that like when George Washington left office, he didn't just like go off and die, you know? Like he just like sat under his metaphorical fig tree. <laughs> he retired. And watched the next people fuck up the nation. You know, like he's just like yep. watching them devolve into everything he told them not to do. Um, yes. So, so um, when the Reynolds pamphlet came out as like a consolation gift, he sent Eliza like a water cooler or something, which was very high tech at the time. So he saw that whole thing go down and he was like, here's a water cooler, Eliza. <laughs> <laughs> so he did that. And apparently... She, like, had that until the day she died. She's very proud of it. She would show guests in her house. That's the water cooler Washington gave me. <laughs> that's, that's Alexander's water cooler of shame. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. She's like, oh, why did he give it to me? Well, that's a funny story. <laughs> so one time. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that is something he did. I feel like even though our history books were like, wow, Bershaw Hamilton, what an asshole. Like, Hamilton is always painted as kind of like a materialistic, greedy person. And then Jefferson was always painted as like a super John Locke, idealism, everyone can be perfectly free kind of dude. You know how Hamilton refers to himself as like a polymath, pain in the ass, whatever? That was kind of the impression I had of Jefferson, I think, where it's like Jefferson knew like five languages and could play the violin and also invented whatever. And Jefferson was just kind of this like collection of eccentricities. And it was like, all right, he's like the cool hipster. Um, And Hamilton was just like, he established a national bank. Fun fact for anyone out there, the Bank of America is not the national bank. The national bank does not exist. Also, low-key, it's like, thank God one of the Founding Fathers had money problems going up, because otherwise we would be fucked as a country. I mean, we are currently, but we would be fucked back then as a country for having no money. Also, um, speaking of things that Founding Fathers are known for, one of my favorite Madison lines are just like, the Bill of Rights, which I wrote. <laughs> I'm like, you go, Madison. <laughs> He's like, I did something there. Thank you. Madison and hercules mulligan he has some of the like greatest moments like when we were super drunk and i karaoke the part that like <laughs> stuck out to me the most was like i want to do the hercules mulligan rap in yorktown and also the madison rap <laughs> in washington on your side is fantastic like he has some great ass moments oh my god washington on your side is such a good song too i like jefferson's part too i just like how david diggs as jefferson always like he does that like shocked oh me look really well yeah it's just like it's so funny it must be nice it must be nice to have Washington on your side. So he's doubled the size of the government. Wasn't the trouble with much of our previous government size. Look in his eyes. See how he lies. Follow the scent of his enterprise. Centralizing national credit and making American credit competitive. If we don't stop it, we aid and abet it. I have to. I saw this like really convincing post that was like, while well, you sit on your couches watching this multi-million dollar production for $6.99. Think about all the people who worked on this show who are out of a job now and just wear your fucking mask. And I was like, this is a valid point. Yep. 
that should wrap up yes. our discussion on Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. So if you haven't noticed, we are now coming to you monthly because, again, there is no Broadway. So we will be back in another month with something else to talk about. But if you want to be able to follow that, make sure you follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Bottomless B-Way. You can always email us any feedback or notes on bottomlessbway.gmail.com. And wait and see what is in your podcast feed as long as you subscribe. Yay!